All right. Uh, if you're listening live, this just in. Uh, my wife actually, as I sat here prepping for the show, my wife uh, texted me to say, Capital in lockdown, shots fired in the chamber, tear gas released, House and Senate in recess, evacuation underway. Protesters used tear gas on D.C. police and media is blaming Trump supporters, naturally, although I heard a report early this morning that Antifa and other organizations had planned already to uh, infiltrate, disguising themselves as Trump supporters in order to disrupt the proceedings today, which is precisely what's going on. And I would suggest that uh, obviously your mainstream media outlets probably had their stories written already last night, um, and you will find that they are probably identical across mainstream media platforms because that is the world that we're living in right now. So I want to stop before we do the program. If you join me in a a quick prayer for our country, prayer for those in danger right now in D.C., prayer for those uh, peaceful people who went to show support for President Trump who are uh, lining the streets of Washington, D.C., who are also now in danger, and of course for the police and other first responders. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of America, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right, so I understand if you are moving on to uh, looking at the breaking news, and I invite you back, if that's the case, to listen to the podcast later. have a lot to say today. First off, and I think this is particularly appropriate as we watch uh, this sad and insane um, behavior on the part of our fellow citizens, the, from the intro to the extraordinary form of today's Mass, the Feast of the Epiphany. Behold the Lord, the ruler is come, and a kingdom in his hand, and power and dominion. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Also, they say that hindsight is 2020, and later on in the program, we're going to employ some 2020 hindsight and look back at some of the events of the last year, the year of our Lord 2020, and see what we've learned, including how fear and guilt can be used to control us and why respect for authority is lower than ever. Again, we see the palpable and very, very unfortunate evidence of that right this minute. Now, today, of course, if you uh, attend the ordinary form of the Mass, you celebrated the Epiphany on Sunday, um, which is, of course, the traditionally the holy name of Jesus. And today is the Epiphany, the Feast of the Epiphany. Uh, and on this day, the Church actually celebrates a threefold mystery, the one that we associate with it most uh, uh, popularly, of course, the arrival in Bethlehem of the three wise men from the East to adore the Christ child. But we also uh, celebrate the baptism of our Savior in the Jordan and the first miracle of Jesus at the wedding at Cana, because the word epiphany means manifestation. And in these three events that I just mentioned, Jesus manifested himself not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as the expected Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, the beloved of the Heavenly Father, to show that he came for everyone. Now, the epistle for today's Mass is taken from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. And the opening verse is, Arise, be enlightened, enlightened, O Jerusalem, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee, and etc. 
So the prophet foretells the future manifestation of uh, the the glory of the Lord and uh, the Lord Jesus to Jerusalem, Jerusalem being a type of the church. And he says that by that light, the Gentiles will be brought into the one church of Christ. And then uh, we have the Holy Gospel for the Feast of the Epiphany in extraordinary form, which is naturally the adoration of the Magi taken from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of King Herod, behold, there came three wise men, or Magi, from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to adore him. Herod, hearing this, was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And having assembled all the chief priests and scribes and the ancients of the people, he inquired of them where Christ should be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for so it is written by the prophet. Then Herod privately questioned the three magi as to the exact time when the star appeared to them. When they had told him, he said, Go and search after the child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I also may come and adore him. And the magi set out for Bethlehem, and no sooner had they left the palace of Herod than the star which they had not seen since their entrance into Jerusalem again appeared in the heavens, and following its guidance they came to the place where the divine infant was, with Mary his mother and St. Joseph. And entering in, they adored the child, and opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That night God appeared to the kings in a dream and commanded them not to return to Herod, So they went back by another way to their own country. Thus was the wicked king disappointed in his expectation of finding out by means of these strangers the place where the child was. So, who are the characters here? The wise men, men especially learned in the science of the stars and the astrology of the day. And according to tradition, the three wise men were of high rank, and that's why they're often referred to as three kings. They came from the east, probably from Babylon, or what is uh, the Persia or modern-day Iran. And naturally, this was many, many centuries before Muhammad invented the Muslim religion. And in that part of the world, uh, there was still preserved the memory of the prophecy of Balaam from the Old Testament, that one day a star would rise in Judea, and that then the Redeemer, the heavenly king, would, would appear. Now, this belief in a future Savior had been rekindled in Babylon by the prophet Daniel during the Babylonian captivity, because he was one of the wise men of his day. Uh, The scripture says they saw his star. And the star that the Magi had seen rising uh, in the east was no ordinary star, for the scripture says it went before them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and stopped over the house where the child Jesus was. So there have been many attempts um, over the years at a scientific explanation for the star of Bethlehem, including the phenomenon of a planetary alignment like we experienced last month. But whatever it might have been, um, its appearance in the scripture, we know, is is in the form of a star. It had a light of an extraordinary uh, degree and description. Ignatius of Antioch, who was a disciple of St. John the Apostle, wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, a star appeared in the heavens which eclipsed all the other stars. Its light was indescribable and its novelty caused astonishment. So the holy kings who were waiting for the promised Savior recognized that star by divine inspiration to be the sign that would herald the birth of Christ. And that's why they call it his star. And they say to Herod, they came to adore him. See, the star had only directed the wise men, you know, generally towards Judea. 
and then vanished. And so they were, they were so firmly convinced that uh, Christ had been born, they didn't even think of inquiring if he had been born, but they wanted to find out where. And so they um, wanted to, you know, they went right to the capital of Judea. They went to Jerusalem um, to, to find out. And the appearance, of course, of the wise men with their train, the, the, the servants and the camels and so forth, like you see on the Christmas cards, that must have caused a, quite a stir in Jerusalem. And especially when they found out that um, these men were asserting that, that the Messiah had been born. And so scripture says that Herod was troubled and all Judea or all Jerusalem rather with him. Now, Herod was not a popular king. He was hated, uh, particularly for his cruelty. And he was concerned that if the Messiah really had come, that the Jews would dethrone him. And, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for their part, were, you know, must have been saying to themselves, you know, how is it that the Messiah is born and we don't know anything about it? You know, why has God revealed it to these foreigners, to these strangers, and not to us? What does that mean? And when they found out that the king was troubled by the news, again, they were concerned about new acts of cruelty on his part, which, of course, manifested in the, the slaughter of the, uh, the innocent. And Scripture says Herod assembled the chief priests, plural. Now, there's, there's usually a high priest, right? So you have uh, priests, plural. So the high priest and those who had formerly held the office. And the thing is that during Herod's reign and in direct violation of the Jewish law, the high priest was often deposed and, and replaced by the temporal authority. And consequently, there were several high priests, right? The, the, the actual one, the reigning one, and then these, these former ones who had been deposed. He also called the scribes and the ancients to ask where Christ should be born. You know, there hadn't been any prophets in Israel for, for centuries. And so the scribes had become the official interpreters of Holy Scripture. And, and the wise men inquired for uh, the newborn king of the Jews. Now, Herod knew what that meant uh, because he asked the chief priests, where was Christ to be born? So even though he was more of a pagan than a Jew and not you know, that well acquainted with the prophecies, he knew enough to know this. And so he sent for the scribes to ask them where the Redeemer would be born. And they answer according to the prophet, Scripture says, and that's the prophet Micaeus and his prophecy, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come forth the captain that shall rule my people Israel. And, uh, and then he questioned them. And it says he did it secretly, right? He had already formed this kind of dark and murderous plan that he didn't want uh, to be known. And he was concerned, of course, that not just that he would grow up and one day become king, but that the Jews would depose him and put this other, uh, this child in his, in his place or, or put him in, in some place of safety where he couldn't get at him. Uh, and, you know, if they found out that he was making these inquiries. And he asked the Magi for the exact time that the star had appeared because he had, you know, uh, discerned correctly that he appeared, the star appeared when he was born. And so he's trying to find out the exact time. And that's why when he slaughtered the innocents, it was the baby boys two and under. All right, more on this when we come back. And please continue to pray for the events that are unfolding in Washington, D.C. Dark day for our country, but we live in the light of Jesus Christ right here on No Nonsense Catholic and Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We'll be right back.
Just got another update from my beloved wife, Betty, sent me a, a text of a photograph of a fellow. Uh, it's apparently sitting in the, <clears throat> they breached the doors of the house chamber, these protesters. I guess we'll continue using that word protesters. These Ill- idiots and villains have uh, broken into the house chamber, and one of them is sitting in uh, the uh, house speaker's chair, uh, and he's wearing a black headgear and uh, and black uh, kind of everything, and black goes pumping his fist in the air. Does not look like a typical Trump supporter. And I just hope Biden and Kamala Harris are watching this and understanding that every American with a brain in his head is going to associate that image with them for the rest of their lives. And I'll tell you something right now. I, for one, will not let them forget it. Okay. They got people, they, they, protest breaches are holding flags, holding Trump flags, right? This is, boy, is this communism 101. I'm so uh, utterly fed up. But that's why we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. We need to turn to our Lord. Earthly kingdoms don't last because they're earthly Kingdoms. I think this one's worth fighting for. But if we have to go down fighting, then we'll do it like Catholics and Christians and not like uh, godless communists. All right. Talking about the Magi visiting King Herod, that they had come to adore him. Now, Herod told them, when you find the child, send word to me so that I also can come and adore him. Well, obviously... No Jew would have believed him, but the Magi didn't know Herod the way that uh, the people did. And so they went in search of the child, and the star appeared again, so that they were uh, able to go to the house where uh, they found Mary and the Christ child. You know, because as soon as the the uh, enrollment was over, all the people that had flocked to Bethlehem had gone back to their own homes, so Mary and Joseph were able to leave the stable and come into a, a regular human habitation. And imagine the joy of the Magi finding the child at last after this arduous journey. And they, Scripture tells us, adored the child. Now, because of an inspiration of divine grace, they recognized that this child was the Son of God. And so they offered him, they gave him offerings, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And anything we, anytime we give something to God, that's called an offering. And we'll talk about the significance of those gifts in a moment. But they were then warned in a dream that night by God not to return to Herod, but to go home. Uh, it says they, they went home uh, by another way. Presumably, they went south and crossed the Jordan uh, at Jericho or maybe went around the Dead Sea just to avoid passing through Jerusalem. So there's a lot to learn from, uh, from this episode of Scripture. First off, the, we see the omniscience of God. Uh, he knew exactly the thoughts of both Herod and the wise men. And he knew that the wise men in their sincerity would show Herod the place where the child lived. And he knew that Herod was resolved in the death of the child. And so he told the wise men to come home by another route. And obviously everything that's happening is in fulfillment of prophecy. He caused the prophecy of Micaiah to be fulfilled. And by a wonderful chain of circumstances that would be you know, completely uh, unforeseeable, carried out the design for the Redeemer to be born in Bethlehem. So we see the faithfulness of God. And, of course, the main message that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all mankind, of Jews as well as Gentiles, which he proved by revealing himself first to the shepherds after his birth uh, by means of the angel and then to the, to the magi by means of a star. 
and he manifested himself as God, as the Lord of hosts. And the ho- the, when we say the Lord of hosts, that refers to the host of angels, which, by the way, in the book of Revelation are, are referred to as stars. So there's a, a yet another connection there. And then we see the properties of faith. You know, it's impossible, I think, not to admire the, uh, the strong and living faith of the three magi. They believed in the prophecy, and, and they knew the Redeemer would appear in Judea, that his coming would be heralded by the star. And as soon as they perceived that star, they set off on the road to Judea, you know, full of this desire to behold and to worship the Savior. And so they didn't uh, uh, shrink or turn away from the dangers and the difficulties of this long journey. And they weren't discouraged when the star disappeared, right? They traveled on and they thought, sought further information in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, and nobody there you know, knew anything about <laughs> the Redeemer's birth, that he'd been born. So this was a test of their faith. It was a trial for them because they were the first ones to bring the tidings of it to the city. And, the, and those tidings didn't awaken feelings of joy but trouble. And, you know, that might have easily caused them to doubt and, and wonder if these signs from heaven, you know, had deceived them. But they didn't give place to those doubts. They stayed firm. And their faith was not shaken by the opinion of others. And that's an important example for us to follow. They believed the prophecy of Micaiah and the interpretation of it given by the chief priests and the scribes. And while it was still nighttime, they started for Bethlehem. And no one from Jerusalem accompanied them. Think about that. They traveled alone to the city of David. One might have thought that all of Jerusalem would have flocked along behind them to, to see the, you know, seek out the, the Messiah. But no, even the priests, doubtful or skeptical, stayed behind and left it to these these Gentile kings to discover the newborn Savior. And, you know, that's by no means encouraging to the wise men, but as a reward for their faithfulness, the star reappeared, led them to the house where Jesus and his mother were found lodging. And in this poor dwelling, they beheld the little child, his humble maiden mother, And inspired by divine grace, they dropped to their knees and they worshipped this infant as their God and Savior. And St. Augustine uh, asks, would they have done this if they had not recognized him as the eternal king? And so what did they do? This gives us a, a, a tremendous example of correspondence with grace. You know, when our Lord was born, the angels sang, Peace on earth to men of good will. Now, the Magi were that. They were men of good will, and they cooperated with grace. And therefore, they obtained peace and salvation. And how? Because it was this grace that made them see the star and understand its meaning. You know, no doubt, many other wise men from the East uh, understood that the star indicated the birth of the Christ. But they didn't answer that divine invitation to seek out the Messiah. But these three did. They obeyed the invitation of grace. They left home, friends, undertook the far journey to Judea. And by corresponding uh, faithfully with this first first grace, they obtained further one of learning in Jerusalem the place where the Messiah was born. And because they believed the prophecy of Micaiah and went to Bethlehem, God not only showed them the way to where the child was, but illuminated them interiorly so that they understood the mystery of the Incarnation and worshipped the child with divine worship. And so they, pres- they persevered in this faith in the divine Savior, and they preserved it that according to, to the trustworthy tradition, they were counted worthy 
to suffer martyrdom for their faith, and they are thereby venerated as saints by the church. The three magi, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthasar, are saints of the Catholic Church because, like I say, by an uh, inspiration of divine grace, they persevered in faith in Christ. And so they became martyrs of the church. In the Middle Ages, in the year 1164, their remains were transferred to Cologne uh, by the Holy Roman Emperor. And all of this should impress upon us the important teaching, the important understanding that the more we cooperate with the grace that is given to us, the more worthy we will be to receive further and greater graces from God. Now, in contrast to that, we see the indifference shown by the chief priests and the scribes. It's almost inconceivable. You know, they they received through the wise men these certain tidings of, of the wonderful star. They knew the prophecies of the Redeemer, but they did not cooperate with the grace received. They did not stir a foot to seek the, the Messiah. You know, they showed the Messiah, or they showed the wise men where the Messiah was to be found, but they themselves remained at home. They waited for the Savior to come to them, and when later on, when he did come to them, they would not receive him because he was poor and humble and, and, and not at all what they expected. So instead, they persecuted him and nailed him to the cross, which shows us that pride is a capital sin. It is the capital sin. It was pride and ambition and envy that led Herod to resolve to kill the Messiah and to wind up killing all of the boy children in Bethlehem from the age of two down. You know, uh, in order to to try and achieve this end, he, he lied to the wise men. He said he wanted to worship the child. Lies and hypocrisy have been from the beginning and we talked about this last week, the weapons used against Christ and his church, right, from, from, the, from his very birth until this day. Now, the feast that we celebrate today in the extraordinary form is January 6th, is the traditional feast of the Epiphany. Uh, the three wise men were the first Gentiles to whom our Lord manifested himself as a savior of mankind. And as, uh, you know, they were re- representatives of the pagan world which was longing for the Redeemer. And they offered uh, their adoration to him. So we should especially on this Feast of Epiphany thank God for our Catholic faith because our forefathers were pagans too. And so we ought to praise the infinite love of God who gave his only begotten Son for the salvation of all men. And finally here, the, the significance of the gifts of the wise men. You know, the gifts that they offered to the child Jesus were of deep significance. In Israel, incense could be offered to God alone and could only be burnt before Yahweh. Any human king of Israel to whom uh, uh, incense was offered was an abomination in the sight of God. So by offering incense to the child Jesus, the Magi wished to express their worship of God hidden under the form of this child. By offering gold, they acknowledged him as king. And then myrrh. Myrrh is a, a, a sweet-smelling uh, resin, which is uh, put on the bodies of the dead to, to, uh, to preserve them from corruption. And by the gift of the myrrh, the Magi wanted to show their veneration for the human nature of Jesus, which was destined for suffering and death and burial. Therefore, they offered gold to the king, incense to God, and myrrh to the man. And, you know, we, we adore the Blessed Sacrament, 
uh, uh, much for the same reasons the Magi adored the Christ child, because it is the same presence of the Son of God, whom the wise men worshipped under the form of a child, that we, filled with faith and reverence, adore in the most holy sacrament of the altar. You and I, we received so many graces from God. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, have we always corresponded to them? You know, have I ever actually resisted God's grace? St. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 6, 1, we exhort you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. And we too can offer our gifts to the Lord Jesus, the gold of love and the incense of worship and the myrrh of patience in our own suffering. So much to learn from this amazing feast of the Epiphany. Glad to be able to share it with you in what is, uh, for the time being, still a free country. So glad to have you with us here at No Nonsense Catholic at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. When we return, going to be talking about uh, how hindsight is 2020, and we're looking at an article from Monsignor Charles Pope, Five Hard Truths We've Come to See with 2020 Vision, when we come back on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. All right, welcome back, uh, No Nonsense Catholic. You know, it's just uh, brought to my attention that somebody in the chat asked a question. Uh, looks like Layla says, if the Magi were present at the birth of Jesus on uh, December 25th, why is the Epiphany celebrated on the 6th of January? I missed the connection. Well, this is a common misconception, uh, and I think it has to do with nativity scenes because we have a tendency to set up the nativity with all of the various characters that ever came to see Jesus. Uh, the shepherds, of course, came to see Jesus in the manger on Christmas Day. But the Magi, the star appeared to them when the child was born. So they came later. In fact, when they, when they came uh, to worship the Christ child, uh, Joseph and Mary were no longer in the stable. They didn't come to see the child in the manger. They were, you know, living at a house there in Bethlehem while Mary recovered and uh, they went to, before they returned to Nazareth. So that's, that's why. The, uh, um, I, I think the, the crash scene sometimes confuses people, makes them think that the wise men were there at Christmas, but they weren't. They came later. And that's why the, um, the parish where I came into the church is no longer there, uh, sorry to say, but they used to do uh, a special thing when they set up the, the nativity scene in the church. You know, it was off on the epistle side of the altar, and they'd put the wise men over on the gospel side at Christmas time. And then as we would go through the days leading up to the Epiphany, they would move the wise men. So they just, you know, and it was fun for the kids to see them. Oh, they're getting closer and closer until on the 6th they finally uh, arrive um, to, you know, where Mary and, and Joseph are. So a beautiful tradition, but uh, one that has caused a certain amount of confusion. Okay. As I said, hindsight's twenty twenty, And looking back, oh boy, the events of today are showing us just how, uh, you know, the, the, uh, when you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. But we're looking back at 2020 uh, with our 2020 hindsight. And uh, starting with an article from Monsignor Charles Pope. He's a, a priest in the uh, Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., so he's right there in the belly of the beast. And um, he wrote an article called Five Hard Truths We've Come to See with 2020 Vision. 
pardon me, was published at the National Catholic Register website on the 31st. And uh, as the title suggests, Monsignor Pope uh, points out five hard lessons that we could learn from that surreal year we just passed through. And as he often does, um, I suspect Monsignor Pope has articulated the feelings of a lot of people, uh, and I imagine including you, which is why I'm uh, sharing this, I'm, and I hope to offer some of my own insights along the way on these five points. So he starts out by pointing, how, pointing out how 2020 started with great hope and expectation of, uh, uh, of you know, a great year to come. He recalls um, remarking at Midnight Mass, uh, you know, at last Christmas, he says, because 2020 is this term for perfect vision, surely our Lord was going to grant us greater clarity in the coming year. And you know what? It made sense to be optimistic. And if you can think back that far, think back to last Christmas or last January, January 2020, the economy was booming. Record unemployment in all areas. Uh, Trump's State of the Union address was full of optimism. Even the mainstream media couldn't hide the, the numbers of people who showed up for the annual March for Life because Trump made history yet again by becoming the first sitting U.S. president to have the courage of his convictions and actually attend. You know, sure, the drive-by media was continuing their constant assault on Trump with the, the 24-hour days, seven days a week uh, misreputation. Uh, I'm not going to say misrepresentation. The outright lies about his immigration policies, about the, the stupid, phony Russian collusion uh, uh, business, the racism, the Me Too movement was going on, all of this, of course, uh, happening um, at the same time. And there was this constant debate between left and right as to whether Trump was a hero or a demon. Regardless, though, as Monsignor points out, by every objective and measurable standard, the country was moving forward. And there was a surge of patriotism, at least uh, amongst conservative Catholics. But we know what happened. Early January, reports start coming in about this new strain of the influenza-like illness coming out of Wuhan, China. By the 31st, the World Health Organization declared a public health emergency. On the 2nd of February, President Trump restricted travel to the U.S. from China, which had the left uh, calling him a racist. The same left who would later accuse him of not doing enough. <laughs> and by March the 13th, uh, Trump had declared a national emergency and banned incoming travel from most of Europe as well. While the exaggerated uh, warnings about millions of deaths followed, leading to lockdowns and stay-at-home orders to quote-unquote flatten the curve. We're going to close down for two weeks to flatten the curve. I said to my children, you watch, so that lockdown's going to last until after the election. And here I am in California watching people lose their livelihoods and, and uh, all of the other awful, awful consequences of this hysterical reaction to COVID-19. So our booming economy screeched to a halt. Millions lost their businesses. Millions more lost their jobs. Catholic priests were ordered to cease public liturgy. <coughs> Pardon me. Monsignor reminds us that some bishops even ordered churches to be locked. And a few said that, that no one's to receive uh, the sacraments under any circumstances. Lent and Easter were lost to the faithful. He goes on to say that he can't even describe his dismay and, and his shock at the cancellation of Holy Mass. You know, so that year was off to an awful start, and it would only get worse, of course, with the, with the rioting and the racial unrest and, and, the, and, of course, the hotly contested election, to put it mildly, which is ending with violence at our own capital right now. All right, so what do we learn from all of this, rather than just repeating what we all know? Monsignor 
Pope tries to point out some lessons that we can learn. Number one, fear can be coercive. It's like, well, no kidding. Yeah, it's it's self-evident. You know, it's well-known among people in marketing uh, as well as politics and so forth that fear is a top way to motivate or worse, to manipulate people, right? Manipulate the public. The progressivists know this. The socialists know this. Black Lives Matter knows this. So does Amazon and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all the rest. Mainstream media especially knows this. Monsignor Pope said the worldwide panic that's crippled us with fear was so intense that he said he couldn't simply ascribe it to to globalists or the media, but insists that it's demonic. He quotes Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, which says, pardon me, I have to stop and cough because I myself am getting over being ill. It says, uh, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Now, since the children share in blood and flesh, he, that is Jesus, likewise shared in them, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who through fear of death have been subject to slavery all their life. Thus, he says, Scripture teaches us that fear of death can hold us in bondage. Never before, he says, in most of our lifetimes has a fear of sickness and death so assailed us. Our parents, grandparents, went out daily into a world with far greater dangers than COVID-19. They faced smallpox, tuberculosis, polio, and other life-altering and deadly illnesses. And despite this, he says, they went to work every day, many in dangerous or unhealthy settings like mines and mills and factories, and they didn't have antibiotics or other the uh, medicines that are routinely available to us today, and yet they went forth. He's pointing out that this level of fear over a virus that kills less than 1% of its victims under 65 is, quote, astounding to me. And of course, when the the, the supposed deadliness of COVID-19 was exposed as a false narrative, and it was a false narrative, mainstream media coverage switched from focusing on death to focusing on new cases as their preferred method of fear-mongering, even though there's a 99% survival rate for all but the infirm and the elderly. But media coverage alone, it doesn't explain the demonic intensity of the fear that caused so many to willingly surrender their freedom to the state. And this has been a theme of my apostolate for over 20 years, that the words, be not afraid, or their equivalent, appear in the Bible some 600 or 365 times. That's once for every single day of the year. And Monsignor Pope points out something that I rarely do, but he says, look, God commands the faithful to be not afraid. And see, he's not consoling us. He's commanding this. We are not to be afraid because he is near to deliver us because death's not the end. Like I said last week, all earthly kingdoms fail precisely because they're earthly kingdoms. More on that later. Now, Jesus holds the keys of death and hell. He's conquered death. This is our faith. Monsignor says, quote, Perhaps this crushing fear is a result of widespread secularism and an absence of God in the hearts and minds of many. Gee, you think? You know, in any case, fear makes us vulnerable to manipulation. Life's important, like Monsignor says, but, but so is liberty. Benjamin Franklin, I'm sure you've heard this quoted many times, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And that brings us to the second lesson. Other things and other people 
matter too. Right, this, this COVID-19 reaction, all the various policies that proceed from it, are preoccupied with those who might get sick. And I'm one of the vulnerable. I'm over 60 years old. I have acute asthma. I have chronic bronchitis. You're listening to it right now. Monsignor Pope has suffered from a, a, a lifetime of pulmonary weakness, and he actually got COVID. And so he says, of course, the lives of the vulnerable people matter, but so do the lives of the millions who've lost their, their livelihoods, who've been deprived of their schooling and, and, and sports and, and life uh, events and rites of passage. Even those who've been robbed of the ability to comfort their friends who were dying in their final days, Right. And, of course, all of the consolations and blessings of attending Holy Mass and receiving the sacraments. I'm going to quote, quote, he said, Many small business owners have lost everything they've worked for their entire lives. He says, We are perfectly willing to see enormous economic and social costs borne by others, especially lower-wage workers who can't virtually sweep floors or assemble products. And then he goes on to talk about the many victims of depression and addiction and domestic tension and suicide, all of which are, have increased dramatically. What about their suffering? Okay, I'm sorry, I'm listening to the music. I'm, I'm right, I was right in the middle of a rant and I'm prepared to, to uh, <clears throat> move into high gear, but I'm going to uh, take a break, and we'll be back with more on this. And what can I do about this situation? What can you do about the situation? We'll talk about that too when No Nonsense Catholic returns right after these messages here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. <coughs> Pardon me. All right, welcome back. Uh, final round here, No Nonsense Catholic, talking about uh, the year 2020 with 2020 hindsight and the lessons that can be learned from the article by Monsignor Pope that we mentioned earlier. The URL will be in the show notes on the app um, and the YouTube. But lesson one, fear can be coercive. Lesson two, lesson two other things and other people matter also. Like I said, uh, as somebody who spent 12 days in ICU with COVID-19, Monsignor Pope says, you know, um, uh, he says, I can say I'm responsible for my own health and I do not ask to be protected at such a high cost to my fellow Americans. All right. So how do we balance these competing interests, you know, the, the economy and, and trying to pe- keep people safe and all of that? Well, you know, and Monsignor mentions what Terry and Jesse and Dr. Ed and I have been saying for, for a year or almost that you quarantine is for the sick and the vulnerable, not for the healthy. Never in history have entire nations shut down over the threat Uh, and a threat to such a small portion of the population. The balance is off. And by the way, along with fear, another one of the great motivators is guilt. And that's been used in abundance, accusing anybody who'd raised doubts about the COVID policies of not caring whether people die or not. And that's absurd. We have to consider the effects on everyone, because contrary to a certain popular movement, all lives matter. But the use of fear and guilt And isolation to manipulate the public has brought us to another lesson, and that is that the ability to dissent is rapidly disappearing. And that is one of the most um, important uh, things, the lessons to learn. 
I just been the, the case on college campuses uh, and in mainstream media for a long time in public schools, uh, you know, being taught that that one way of thinking is true and, and that then that uh, objective truth uh, needs to be relegated to the dustbin of history. You know, only this <clears throat> week, one of our YouTube videos from eight months ago got removed. Right. Back when all this was starting. And, and, and it's not just COVID-19 related material that can get you banned off of uh, uh, alternative media. See, that was the thing. It was supposed to be the alternative to the mainstream media. And now we're being censored on, on YouTube and, and Facebook and those other places that are supposed to be platforms for people to give their opinions. Well, uh, some opinions apparently are more equal than others. Right. The rather obvious suggestion of Monsignor says that rioting and burning and looting are not uh, good or appropriate responses to, to racial injustice can result in similar measures and have. And the same goes for election fraud. You know, the media and other social platforms exercise a great power by what they do or don't report and what posts they allow or what they actively suppress. Free speech was once a pillar of liberalism, but this has drastically changed. Um, dissenting opinions are no longer regarded by the left as wrong, but as dangerous. I would point out again, just this week, Speaker Pelosi proposed a rule in the House that all written works by our representatives, all of them, must employ so-called gender-neutral language, which means banning words like mother and father and son and daughter. Now, I don't know about you, but concerns about gender-neutral language do not represent me because I live in a real world. And folks, when one party's narrative is allowed on all platforms, only one, and even opposition lawmakers are restricted to which words they can or cannot use when they're shaping policy, we no longer live in a free country. Hence, lesson four, those who question are demonized. You don't care about other people. You're a racist. You're a homophobe. You're, you're a religious zealot. You're a xerophobe. You're, you're a bigot. Right? These, are, these attacks are called ad hominem, ad hominem, Latin for against the man, because they're personal attacks and not authentic arguments. I remember back in 2012, after Obama was, was inexplicably reelected, and like maybe we need to start looking backwards for our election fraud, <clears throat> when he was reelected in that same year, there was a, a, the, the so-called Reason Rally. 20,000 atheists and agnostics and other fellow travelers gathered in Washington, D.C., to listen to a bunch of talks, including the keynote speaker, Richard Dawkins, who said that religious claims need to be, to be, uh, um, uh, what's the word he used? Claims of religion need to be ridiculed with contempt. Uh, if they say they're Catholic, he says, do you really believe when a priest blesses a wafer, it turns to the body of Christ? Are you seriously telling me you believe that? Are you seriously saying wine turns into blood? And if you answer yes, he says, then you should be mocked and ridiculed in public. Right? He's not mocking religious beliefs, but religious believers and calling for others to do the same. You would think that a so-called secular intellectual uh, who's promoting atheism would offer some kind of rational argument in favor of it, but he doesn't. He simply mocks people that don't agree with him, Catholics in particular. Now, ridicule and name-calling are, are the tactics of a man without an argument, but they're effective. And that's why he, the, the left doesn't encourage people to think but just to heap opprobrium on what they don't understand. And so these poor mockers of Christ hold nothing sacred, literally. So why are they so mad? Because deep down, the law of God's written on a human heart. Deep down, they know if they're right, then life's meaningless. If they're right, there's nothing in this world worth living for. 
much less dying for. But, but in the years following, so many of our secular leaders have followed his example and devolved into a bunch of name-calling children. That brings us to the fifth and final lesson, respect for authority is plummeting. Well, no kidding. I'm, I'm getting the reports on my cell phone as we speak, people texting me, sending me pictures of what's going on in our nation's capital right now, like we were some kind of third world banana republic. I'm ashamed of those people. And anybody that would support them needs to be ashamed of themselves. I don't care how it comes out, who they supposedly represent. And those people breached the, the, the halls of, of government. And I, and I can't believe it was people trying to stop the objections to the election that would be on Trump's side. But only those who are trying to make sure that this election stands by throwing the fear of God into our elected representatives. I can only hope that people see it for what it is. The politicization, politicization of everything. Everything's personal. There's no more rational discourse. And so people have lost respect. It, <coughs> pardon me. The government, the media, the academy, uh, uh, the scientific community, they've lost credibility. The unrelenting attacks on Trump uh, from the media, the tone of the press conferences, the heavy bias in the media coverage. I mean, it's a long trend, but they've pulled the mask off. They're not even pretending to be unbiased anymore. Like I say, politicization of everything. They politicize sports. They politicize science to the point nobody believes what's coming out of the scientific community anymore. Follow the science. It's absurd when, when people, when scientists announce instead of explore, when they announce the facts rather than discover them then we know that follow the science is, is, is terrible advice. And that's why people don't trust it. And so it's undermined the respect that we used to have for these institutions. Everything. Everything's agenda-driven. And that's replaced the respect and a trust for leaders of all kinds, secular and religious as well. Now, what's the result? People live in echo chambers where they just talk to each other uh, uh, you know, about their same thing, demonizing their opponents. And it isn't helpful on either side. And so you ask, what can I do? What can I do? Well, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So it's the right question, but it's the wrong emphasis. Don't ask, what can I do? Ask, what can I do? And of course, I'm going to give you a quick list, daily scripture reading. Uh, go to Holy Mass. I mean, the, the daily Mass, that's the best way to encounter the scriptures. If you can't, though, the readings are on the usccb.org website for free. The Liturgy of the Hours, not only the, the church's uh, second kind of official liturgy, but you can do that, uh, you know, by yourself. There's apps, there's books. You can follow the Liturgy of the Hours, pray those prayers. In fact, there's uh, periodicals like the Magnificat and others that, that print both the uh, morning and evening prayers for Liturgy of the Hours and the daily readings. All right? So take the time and encounter Scripture every single day. Right, And again, Liturgy of the Hours, going to daily Mass, it gives you prayer as well as daily scripture reading because regular daily prayer is so important. Um, <clears throat> the most um, recommended by popes and even by the uh, Blessed Virgin Mary herself, the Holy Rosary. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, or I just said, you know, God's will for you, according to St. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, God's will for you is your sanctification. Apostolicum exuositatem. Uh, from Vatican II, the, the first time in history that the church put out a document for the laity. What does it say? 
it says that you need to sanctify the secular order, that you need to help make the, the world holier place, right? This is the universal call to holiness from Vatican II, from the Bible, from Our Lady, from Our Lady of America, as we've recently discovered, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And why? Here's where Chesterton comes in. <clears throat> he wrote the shortest letter to the editor ever in the history of the London Times. They asked the question, what's wrong with the world? His response, dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. That's right. I am what's wrong with the world. And if I want to change the world, I have to start by changing myself. If I want to make the world outside the four walls of my parish holier, I have to be holy. I have to sincerely, sincerely follow and believe the admonition and the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things will be added to you. Our Lady of America, her, her message recently approved by the Church for Private Devotion. It's, uh, you know, to, her message reminds us the teaching of Jesus that the kingdom of God is within you. How? Through the indwelling of the most blessed Trinity in your soul through sanctifying grace. With God in your soul, the kingdom of God lives in you forever because your soul is immortal and this kingdom can never be taken from you so long as you stay in a state of grace. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God because nothing is more important. And if you don't know your faith, it's a result of poor catechesis. The very meaning and purpose of life is to know, love, and serve God in this world and be happy with him forever in the next. Knowledge is not enough. St. Catherine of Siena said, love follows knowledge. Knowledge is not enough, but it's the foundation for the love and service that follow. So knowledge comes first and leads to a love which is eager to serve. But that knowledge means an accurate presentation of the faith. So if you feel like you don't know your faith as well as you should, I want you right now, today, I encourage you, take responsibility for your own religious formation. There's never been more good information about the Catholic Church than uh, more readily available than it is right now. Okay? And start here. Uh, people in the world talk about justice. We need to also remember piety. And we'll talk about that more next week. Our Lady wants us to imitate her purity and, and the... Uh, the uh, virtues of St. Joseph and the Holy Family to be devoted to the indwelling presence of the Most Holy Trinity. Now is the time to embrace your faith. And Our Lady has come to tell us expressly that we need to emphasize this in our lives uh, to keep the fight. And that, my friends, is no nonsense. Stay in a state of grace. Remember that, uh, that through Jesus, we overcome. No matter what the situation and that we have the promise of Christ, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And friends, that's us. So God bless you and keep you in these very trying and difficult times. And we'll see you next week right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Don't forget, coming up, we've got our uh, spiritual warfare conference. It's going to be on YouTube. Go to bmpr.org, find out all about it. And until then, may God richly bless you and your family. And thanks for listening to No Nonsense Catholic. <laughs>